Wonderful to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. When you have a question for me, go to clark.com ask. Coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Regis moment, I want to talk to you about company trying to trap you into your own addiction of using electronics more and more. It is absolutely clark Rageous. And coming up yet later, I want to talk about what I call the trade skirmish, but everybody in the media calls the trade war. Where we are with it, what's it going to do to your wallet, how's it going to affect the economy, your job, and the rest. Uh, right now, though, I want to make sure that if you were one of the 1.4 billion people in the world who use WhatsApp, you need to know, if you've not heard already, that there is a ugly, major breach of WhatsApp, which a lot of people use because it's encrypted end-to-end communication. There was a spyware that was developed that allowed any user of WhatsApp to have everything going on in their lives, on their phone, to be spied on. And so uh, this story says that I'm wrong. It's not 1.4 billion people now on WhatsApp. It's 1.5 billion people on WhatsApp. Whatever, that's a lot of people when you consider we only have, what, 330 million in the United States. And so what the criminals are able to do is they're able to attack our phone and turn around and have access to every last bit of personal information. And so what you need to know is that Facebook has come up with a patch for it because that's who owns WhatsApp. And you only benefit from that patch if you update your phone. And I've done that on my phone already and because I'm a, a WhatsApp user. I use WhatsApp. I use Viser, uh, Viber. I use the Chinese app to communicate with family in China, WeChat. And I know with that one, the Chinese government, the communists are spying on every last thing that goes back and forth in the WeChat. But the Facebook with WhatsApp, that's not what's supposed to happen. And that is, unfortunately, what can happen with this vulnerability. If you don't go to where your apps are on your iPhone or Android, and there will be a section that will tell you what updates are needed. And so you just update your app, and then you are patched from the vulnerability of prying eyes, ears, and the rest. Very simple. It took me, the update took under 30 seconds, I guess, to update the app and secure it from vulnerability. Now, if that's not enough, if you use a Windows computer, there is now a flaw that Microsoft has put out the word on. It is being referred to as a monster bug. And so with this, 
it lays your system wide open for criminals, hackers to put malware on your computer that will do any of a bunch of terrible things, and it only affects people on older systems. So if you're using Windows 8, Windows 10, you are not affected by this. You don't have to worry. But if you're still on Windows 7 or um, XP or something like that, Microsoft that has abandoned XP, but there's still zillions of them out there, is so freaked out about this particular um, hack that they put out a patch for you even for XPs that they usually don't support. So that's how serious this one is. That will take longer than 30 seconds that it took me to update my phone for the WhatsApp bug or hack or virus or whatever you call it, vulnerability. This one, you got to do a little more work on your Windows computer to update, but update you should. Well, enough bad news about computer hacks. Let's talk with Regina. Hi, Regina. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Regina. How can I serve you today? Well, my son is entering college this fall, and I have a question about the financial package that was awarded to him. Well, I like the the whole term of that to start with, because that means netting out some of the cost of college, and that's always a good thing. Yes. Yes. So um, it's actually a little bit of an embarrassing situation because we overstayed in our 529. We did not take into consideration the um, scholarships that he would be given. And we were actually quite surprised and pleased with the package that was given to us. So we have money left. If he keeps up his grades, we'll have money left over in the end. But that's not necessarily the issue. Um, the issue is that we were, in par- as part of our package, were um, given uh, subsidized and unsubsidized loans. And so the question that I have for you today is, we actually don't need the loans, uh, but would it be worth taking out a loan in his name in order to build his credit history? No, it's, there are simpler ways to build his credit. And taking on a loan that's not necessary, I wouldn't recommend. What I would like you to do to help him establish a credit history, establish a score, is add him as an authorized user on one of your credit cards. Don't You don't even need to give your son the plastic, but just add him as an authorized user. And if the application from your credit card company asks for a social security number and makes that optional, put in that social security number because that's how that's then reported to the credit bureaus. And then once your son's at college, he will be able to apply for a college student card. He's technically not supposed to be solicited for that till his 21st birthday, but he can with many issuers, if he takes the initiative, go ahead and apply. And the most aggressive with college student credit cards is Discover Card, which has a special um, student credit card program. 
So if you Great. if you add him as an authorized user, let a few months pass, and so he's established a, a credit identity, then he can apply for a student card, and that will lead him on the way to having all the credit record he'll want. That's a great answer, exactly what I expected from you, so thanks so much. All right, so let me say something about the 529 plan. If your mm-hmm. son ends up not going to graduate school or any professional school or whatever, and you end up with money left over in the 529 plan, do you have other children who you could transfer that money to? Yes, we do. Okay, good. Because you don't want to cash that out. You may have some ability to avoid penalty if you had to cash out because college costs are being defrayed by scholarships in part. But the best thing is to transfer to another family member and let that continue to grow tax-free and then be spent tax-free. Karen is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Karen. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Karen. You've got a question for me about a 401k plan. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, My employer, um, we have a 401k, and we have three different categories that you can put a percentage towards of what you want to invest in. We have a pre-tax. We have a 401k option, uh, the Roth 401k, or just 401k Roth. And then um, an after-tax category where you can contribute up to 7%. And that category is the one that I'm, I don't really understand um, that All right, option. you just blew my mind here. Let me, let me think this through again. You said you can do a traditional 401k, you can right. do a Roth 401k, right. or you can do an after-tax 401k. Right. So I don't, I've never heard that frame that way because the only way I've ever heard of it is traditional or Roth. And a Roth is an after-tax right. version but of a 401k. This is outside of that. And, and when I called to ask about it to our, um, our human resources department, they, she really didn't have much of an answer for me. She just said some people use it as like a savings account and they'll take it out at Christmas time. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I just don't think it would, that would be the best use. I, I mean, I'm sure it has a purpose. I just don't know what scenario. I am, I am so puzzled and am so clueless. So you with your 401k, um, let's go with the two normal choices, which would be the traditional or the Roth, and until you've maxed out anyway, that's the only places you'd want to be. Right, and and I do do that. So that's why I'm like, so what's this other category? Because I I understand... Um, you also you know, probably are good at not tying and stuff. I mean, come on, you're maxing <laughs> out your 401k? Are you an American? I mean, who does that? That's great. Okay, so if you, as an overachiever, you want to do something else? Well, and we do a brokerage account, but that's why I'm like, is this something that you can contribute to and then later roll it into a Roth in addition to that? So that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is that like that scenario, I guess? Does that make sense? Well, okay, so, so let's walk this through. So if you do... So you're doing $18,500 each year into your 401k. Right. Well, 19000 this year. And then, then, of course, next year I get to do the additional. Oh, you're going to be, you're going to have that birthday and you can do catch right. up. All right. right. This is extraordinary. You should be really proud of yourself that you're such a phenomenal <laughs> saver. So 
are you earning too much to, in addition to this, doing a Roth IRA, or are you still eligible for a Roth IRA? No, luckily we both, my husband and I, max out our Roth IRAs. All right, so now you've moved from are you an American to are you a human? This is great! (laughs) Do you know, I think it's less than 3% of people are doing what you're doing. Maxing out a 401k and maxing out a Roth IRA. That's extraordinary, and you should be extremely proud. Oh, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. So (laughs) um, if you're earning less than the limit, that means you're probably in a tax bracket that in the 401k, you should be doing the Roth 401k version, not the traditional. Okay, okay. The, uh, the reason I put some of that in that pre-tax is so that it'll bring our income down at tax time so that we can do the Roth. Is that not a good strategy? That's a brilliant strategy. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's, that's really smart. If you're uh, right at the bubble where you would become Roth ineligible, that is an exception to my normal advice, and that's very smart financial planning. Okay, good. good. So okay. if you are doing all that and you want to save additional money uh-huh. then you want to do it as tax efficiently as possible and the most tax efficient of all is doing um, index funds either as a mutual fund or as an exchange traded fund okay because okay. Uh, index funds have extremely favorable tax treatment under the tax code would that be better than in a brokerage account? Well, in a brokerage account, you can do um, exchange-traded funds or uh, index funds. Are you okay. with a traditional full commission stock broker, or are you with a discount broker? We're with a discount broker. So with a discount broker, you can do um, an index fund. All an index fund is is where you own little pieces of hundreds or thousands of stocks. They just buy like a group of the 500 largest companies or the 1,000 largest companies in the country or all publicly traded companies pretty much they can buy stock from what's known as a total stock market index. Or you can buy an international index where they buy stocks from Europe, Japan, Australia and put them in an investment. The idea of all these is the tax treatment is extremely favorable and it's long-term savings but not necessarily long-term investing not necessarily for retirement. It doesn't have the normal rules that money saved for retirement would have. They speak with forked tongue at Apple. It's today's Clark Rageous Moment. What's going on with Apple? I thought they were the golden child. Spams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous Moment. So Apple has seen too little of a good thing. There are a large number of app developers actively, there were 17, that were offering various forms of apps geared towards kids, teens, and adults to monitor and restrict the amount of time you spend on your iPhone. Well, Apple apparently didn't like that, and they came out with their own version of something where you could control or limit time on a phone, a screen tracker. So Apple has been kicking people out of the App Store who are competing with them. This is completely unacceptable. And there was one of them that had 
over 3 million users that just, uh, no notice at all, Apple just killed it, deactivated everybody's system that was using it, and threw them out. This is not okay. And it's why we need to have a version of neutrality for phones. You know, we really went backwards with the store on Androids and the store on iPhones where Apple and Google are in a position to be gatekeepers in order to prevent competition with themselves. And the method that has always worked for computers, where any site you want to go to is free and available to you, you can go to it, is a much better model for the marketplace than what Apple's doing with this foolishness right now. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com's our main website. Clarkdeals.com is where you go to save money each and every day on bargains that we find for you. So I've been stunned how many interviews I've done for television and radio over the last several days about the quote-unquote trade war with China and the effects that it's going to have on the economy and on you and me as consumers. And I want to make something really clear. We are not in a full-blown trade war, at least not yet. We're in a skirmish at this point with a lot of posturing from the U.S. and a lot of posturing back from China. And it can get a whole lot more serious. Right now, individual industries are being very heavily affected. Uh, You think of farmers who are mentioned most often, but there will be any of a number of other industries that will feel the effects from this phase. Likely, um, the electronics industry will feel it pretty hard as we move forward. And as things either dial back or ratchet up, It will be clear whether this is just a glancing blow to our economy and to your and my wallet and our job prospects, or if this becomes an all-out trade war when all bets are off. But right now, we're not there yet. As far as what is being assessed taxes, uh, in international trade, they're referred to as tariffs, but they're taxes and you and I will pay them. There are a lot of consumer goods that we will end up paying much higher prices for, but not immediately. We won't feel the effects of this till probably July that we'd start to see much higher prices on things. Is the actual practical effect on you, these are pretty much dollar-for-dollar pass-throughs. And so the price of consumer goods that you buy that are subject to the taxes, the tariffs, uh, will be quite a bit more expensive. I mentioned the other day an example, and that was if you shop for a washer-dryer, a lot of times you don't remember what you paid the last time for a washer-dryer, but they are much more expensive right now because of tariff actions, and it's a shock to your wallet if you remember what you paid the last time before one croaked and you bought a new one, 
This time it'll be more obvious because a lot of the items subject to higher costs are things that we buy more regularly, like paper goods and um, things that that we use in the bathroom, like it uh, could be deodorant, who knows what, that are things that are going to be impacted by it. Um, various clothing items will end up being more expensive if this is not just something that is just posturing, which I have to believe, although you never know if countries overplay their hands. But my guess, with next year being an election year, and so many people vote their wallet, that this is not going to get out of hand. And the overall effect on your wallet and my wallet and on the economy overall will be relatively small in total. Again, though, individuals, individual businesses will be impacted in some cases severely to the point that may destroy some businesses, some farmers who've given up, that kind of thing could happen through this phase of saber-rattling that's going on with trade. If, though, I'm wrong, and this becomes something that is all-out trade war with the U.S. and China, that will have a significant effect on our economy, will definitely slow it down, will lead to layoffs, not necessarily a recession, but it could go that far, And that's why, particularly looking at the political calendar, I doubt that we're ever going to see that level of disruption from a trade war. Just my best guess, and that's all it is at this point, is an educated guess because nobody knows what's going to happen in the centers of power around the president and around the Chinese dictator. Kevin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Kevin. Your mom has been blessed with long life, hasn't she? Oh, yes, she has. Good How old's your mom? She's 90. Wow. She'll be 91 in a couple months. Well, that's fantastic. And how good's her health? Really good. Really good. Wow. Well, that's neat. And how my dad Kevin- made it. My dad made it to 92, and so I guess, you know, I've got some good genes in the gene pool. How about you? So I'm in a very different situation. My mom lived a really long time, but my dad didn't. Both my granddads died very young, and so I don't know what kind of lifespan I got in front of me. Sounds like you got a lot more positive prospects. So what's going on with your mom that I can help with? Okay, so mom is, uh, her Social Security income is about 21000 She's got about 6500 or so in interest income. She's got an annuity of about 25000 or 52000 Sorry, got those numbers backwards, 52000 That she could take in a lump sum, but I think that's going to affect her negatively in taxes. And so I'm wondering, what's the max I can do? I've run through some calculators, and it looks like maybe 18000 is the max she could do if that's dividend income that, that annuity will pay out in. And so I'm curious, should I take it in a lump sum and pay the taxes and make it up on, you know, hopefully in the interest of the investments, or do I spread it out over two or three years 
so that she doesn't have any... Um, so your outside surrender, this money can be received a number of different ways at this point. It could be uh, paid out to her monthly. It could be paid in lump sum. Is that... Correct. And if you have it paid out lump sum and she passes away, is the rest of the money forfeited? No. In fact, um, part of the plan is that if she elects to do payments, those payments will be made to the beneficiaries in the event of her demise. Well, it seems if she's got sufficient income right now, if she does, and she's in such good health, it seems to me it would be better to be paid monthly. Not even thinking I, about the tax angle. Yeah, I don't see the monthly option on the on the paperwork. It's just it looks like yearly. So, oh, um, so she can take a sum each year of a certain amount based on correct. her life expectancy that they would right. have for her at ninety one. Right. I would do that as long as the money's not forfeited at time of her passing. The calculators that I've used online, if you can trust those, I'm not sure if you can or you can't, you'd have more experience. Let's say that I could probably get away squeaking out like 18 grand a year. Yeah, so if you if you can do annual withdrawals, I just think that's better. It's almost okay. like a budgeting tool. Right, and, and I told you, know, the idea is put the money in the bank, let it make some, well, not the bank, but... <laughs> and on, how about money, an online bank where you can earn a couple of percent? <laughs> Yeah, well, we, I actually, you know, her other investments are all very conservative, very low interest, and very safe. And I thought, okay, this maybe we'll put in something like um, index funds. No, where, not at her age. Okay. Yeah, you got to you got to just play it simple. At be more almost safe, ninety-one it, years old. Okay, don't even risk it. Nope, nope. Okay. I would keep it really, really simple. And do withdrawals over a number of years since you have that option available to you. Put that money in one of the online banks where you'll earn about 2.4, 2.5%, nothing exciting. And then that money's available to her as she needs it. That seems to be the easiest course since no money will be forfeited by not taking it as a lump sum. Lawrence is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lawrence. Hi, Clark. Nice to speak with you. Great to have you here. You're buying your first home. Congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks. How can I serve you with that? Um, yeah, my wife and I have been making some good income, and we have been very diligently saving um, due to family culture and from listening to you. So we are debating how much a down payment we can put, uh, we should put down and whether we should go for a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30-year one. Well, I love the question. It almost never happens that a first-time homebuyer will take out a 15-year loan. Do you have that culture where you're careful with money? I'm thrilled about that. And so if I was thinking what is the ideal combination with today's extremely low interest rates available on 15-year loans again, I would do 20% down and a 15-year loan. If you, okay. if you need to put more down in order to be able to afford the monthly payment on a 15-year loan and you have the cash to do so, then go further mm-hmm. with the down payment so you can stay with the 15-year loan because you build up so much equity so quickly and the spread between the 15-year and 30-year is such that it's really, really wonderful to be able to do the 15-year right now. 
Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, we mostly agree with the answer. We just heard that if we put down a bigger down payment, that the rates can be even a little lower. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, depends on the lending source. If they would want you to go past 20%, that would be somewhat unusual that once you hit 20% on an owner-occupied home, the risk level drops so much for the lender. And so that becomes something that I don't think you need to worry about so much. But the, the spread you're looking at right now is the widest it's been in a good while between the 15 and 30. Um, what kind of rates are you being quoted? Like 3.6, 3.7. Okay, shop that a little more. You may find you can get that rate down some on a 15. Okay. Okay, yeah, we haven't fully like given them all of our financials. Um, Have you gone to a credit union yet for a quote on a loan? No, that's actually related to my second question. Um, we um, have some online banks uh, accounts with them, okay. and we know some friends who refer their loan underwriters, but we never haven't got the chance to check uh, credit unions. All right. Well, I'm very excited that you're checking with multiple sources and checking with the mortgage broker or banker as you're doing. Um, checking with an online bank is great. I think add in as an additional resource uh, credit union that is available to you to join you can even before you join you can go look at what rates they're quoting right now for 15-year loans and see whether they're offering a better deal than maybe a mortgage broker is offering you and uh, i think if you shop around a lot particularly with how determined you are to put down a decent down payment you're going to do great on this, and I love the 15-year loans because 30-year loan, you basically develop no meaningful equity pay down in the first decade. 15-year loan, you develop massive equity in that first decade. And think about in 15 years, you own it. In 30 years, you still got 15 more years to pay most of the balance. So they're not even close and that's why the 15-year is so superior. Caitlin is with us here on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Caitlin. Hey, Clark. Caitlin, something has disappointed you by vanishing in the night. Yeah, Clark. I recently was reading an article you published about the safety concerns with using a debit card for regular purchases. And right now, my husband and I use debit cards for most of our day-to-day spending, but put larger purchases or recurring bills on credit cards. I remembered you talking about a service called Debitize, and I thought this sounded great because we were worried about if we started using a credit card all the time, we wouldn't know our limits, and then we wouldn't be able to connect our spending to the money we actually had in our account. So I was wondering if you had any ideas of a similar service that you would recommend or another method for achieving this since it looks like Debitize was acquired by another company and now they no longer provide this service. Yeah, so uh, there were two competitors. There was Debix and Debitize, and they both bit the dust. And they were both doing the same kind of thing that I was so excited about giving you the ability to use a credit card as if it was a debit card. And so the credit card, you got the protections, You got, if you had some kind of points tie-in, you got those. But 
it made it work kind of like a debit card where you never were in a position to charge what you didn't have money for. And so it was an ingenious thing. They just couldn't figure out how to make money doing it, and they both folded. So now we're back to like 1990, where the only way you can really do it is manually with the equivalent of like a check register where you keep in it the balance in your checking account or you monitor the balance in your checking account with an app from your financial institution, bank, or credit union on your phone and that you record um, either notes or something like that, an online ledger, every time you use it and know what you're doing to your balance. It is such a cumbersome thing that was eliminated by Debix and Debitize. So I'll tell you what I'll do because I've heard from so many people who have wanted a tool like this. I want to see if we can develop one ourselves that will give people some of the capabilities that people had from Debitize or Debix. Because right now, you're basically down to pen and paper to do manually what they were doing in an automated way. Yeah, I figured I could just go through every week and kind of log all my purchases and then make a payment every week if I needed to. And, and actually, there are a lot of people who've been doing that for many years as a way of making sure they don't overspend with a credit card. And so you have to be of that kind of mind that you will set aside the time and do that. And if, if you're disciplined like that, you'll be able to make it happen. Unfortunately, most of us uh, just can't seem to get around to do, doing things like that, which is why what Debitize and Debix did just made me so happy and their demise disappointed me so much. So do you think another company will try to provide this service in the future? If they do, what was clear from Debitize and Debix, they'll have to charge for it. That It was an expensive kind of thing for them to offer. So it'd have to be either a nonprofit that did it as a way to help people with their spending. Think about that National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Or uh, somebody who just does it out of the goodness of their heart. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.